I need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Hello and welcome to JK Plus One. I am not your host, PTF. PTF is in uh, Arizona. I talked to him this morning. We were doing a podcast and he was changing clothes while we were on the phone together, um, which was interesting for me to do, just the visualization of that. But uh, I am your host, Jonathan Kinchin, and I am in Saratoga. It's snowing. And it wasn't snowing when I was in Austin yesterday. So that's a lot to deal with. Uh, speaking of Saratoga, it sounds like it's official. The, the Belmont will be at Saratoga this year. That's going to be a ton of fun. I'm uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, a little bit of, of a June action. Uh, I could just sleep in my own bed, hang out at Saratoga. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to those news. To those newses. Is that a phrase? That's not a real phrase. Those newses. Looking forward to those newses. You know what I meant to say. Um, uh, I want to thank our friends at Qatar Racing uh, for supporting this podcast, making it possible. Uh, we've had a lot of fun episodes. Uh, something tells me that our guest today, Brittany Erton, has probably brought a few ears to JK Plus One that haven't been here before. So while you're here, let me tell you, there's a bunch of other episodes you can listen to as well. This is episode 60, which means you nailed it. There was 59 before this. Uh, we've had some really fun ones this year. We've we've had uh, the, still the most listened to ever, Duke Matisse, a professional horse player who actually gets a, a call out in this episode, uh, an episode uh, that, that he had at the very beginning of the first season. Uh, we've got Michael McCarthy, Gary Stevens, Marshall Graham, Nick Tamaro, Pat Cummings, Mike Rapoli, Craig Burnick, Sheikh Fahad, um, Brad Cox, Jack Sisterson, uh, Mike Smith, uh, Angel Cordero, one of the best episodes we've ever done that has video to go along with it. There's a lot of fun ones. All right, enough of that. Uh, make sure you subscribe, like, share, follow. I'm very excited to catch up with my dear friend, Brittany Erton, congratulating her on her career retirement from TVG FanDuel, but I'm assuming on to bigger and better and more fun and more challenging journeys, exciting stuff. Uh, she talks about her her great career at FanDuel, her appreciation for for them giving her an opportunity. We talk about racing. We talk about sports. We talk about her move to New York City. We talk about the one time we went to the Super Bowl and my brother got really drunk and spilled nachos on himself. We talk about all of those things, and uh, it was a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy it. My friend, Brittany Erton. Hey. Uh, I feel like it's been ages since I've seen you. Far too long. Why. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I – Oh, I did. I saw your Breeders' Cup. Yeah, because I feel like it was ages ago. <laughs> yeah, and you were and you were you were in work mode because we were we were sitting next to. Mm-hmm. I saw you. We were sitting next to Aaron Rodgers when you came to interview him for NBC, and that's that was when that was when I. I don't know if I saw you outside of that. Maybe no, probably not. You were in work mode too. Did I ever tell you that he gave you a shout out? He didn't I, reference you, know, you by name, but I knew he was talking about you. So it's funny, you didn't tell me, and I someone sent me or, or like someone sent me the YouTube video of mm-hmm. like of your interview with him, and I was watching it, and then I saw it. I was like, oh damn, he was talking about me. So I I didn't I found out I didn't know I found out. Did you uh, you know for those that weren't at the Breeders' Cup, Aaron Rodgers was there obviously because he has the injury, and so we did a little interview for NBC. He was also there with Miles Teller. Did you did you give him some good tips? Are they going to come back? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. So it was funny, like, you know, look, I, like I'm a huge fan. Like, I, I think he's, I think he's outstanding. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. And so like, and you know, I have like a background in football. So like I was even kind of even for more fanboying, but like, you know, I am one of those people that tries to be as respectful as I possibly can because like, look, man, he's like, he clearly doesn't want to be bothered. He wants to just hang out. He doesn't want people like wearing him out, asking for questions and and, like pictures and all that. So I was just trying to play it cool and like not bug him. And just like, if it worked out, then cool. Like we'll talk to each other or whatever. And so like someone that like with the Breeders' Cup kind of like, like kind of tried to like say like, Hey, if you need help, he can, he knows he can help. And then him and miles kind of called me over. So then Mm -hmm. I went over and I started talking to them for like 15 or 20 minutes, you know, and, and then we decided to play a pick six together, which that was pretty cool. Like, we, 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 we like created a ticket. It was like four grand, they all put in money and, and then me and miles went to the window to bet it. And that was cool. Like that was a fun thing to do. And then throughout the day, like they would check in, I, you know, I told him to bet good night, all of he bet good night, all of, um, 
so it, it was fun. He had a, he had a good time. And then, um, you know, and then as he was leaving, he FaceTimed my wife's brother, who's a huge Jets fan oh, that's and like, awesome. and like FaceTime and said, hello, made his day. So he was, yeah. he was very nice. It was, it was a lot of fun though. It was cool. That's pretty cool. And I think, I mean, yeah, they're, they're on another level, you know, massive celebrities, but I feel like that's how we always talk about how you get people in the game. And I swear pick fours, pick fives, pick sixes. I think those sequential wagers, whenever I bring my friends to the track, that's the way to get them into it. Because as long as you're not kicked out the first leg, at least you have something to follow. I don't know. I, I think that's the, that's a fun way to do it. Oh, it's the scariest thing in the world is losing the first leg with a group <laughs> wager. You know what I mean? Like my brain can handle it. Like I've been in the game long enough that like if I get snapped in the first leg, like, I can deal with it. But like, man, when you bring someone new and they're like, you get them all excited and then they lose the first day, they're like, what, the, what is this? What am I? Why yeah. did I even do that? And then they say that the, 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 the doomed question, they go, so that's it. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that, that. <laughs> That's it. You really deflated that balloon quickly. But no, I, that was the last time we saw each other. And what a random, you know, circumstance having Aaron Rodgers and Miles Teller there. But um, we, we have to catch up again soon. I'm more in your neck of the woods now. Yeah, that's it's it's exciting. Um, a little New York move for you. I've mm -hmm. I've you know, look, I was a Belmont, New York person like for Belmont. I would come to New York or like my brother when I was like very young, lived in New York for a little while. So it's not that I had no New York experience. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm in Saratoga as much as I am and my wife is from like the, the tri-state area. So like they love going to New York City, her and her family. Like I find myself there all the time now. And it's it's a lot of fun. Are you excited mm -hmm about the about the move oh yeah i mean it's it's a little daunting is it not i mean i have lived in southern california my entire life granted i have wanted to move to new york for as long as i can remember there's something just so magical about this city i think new york and london are probably my two favorite cities in the entire world but uh, a move to New York. I mean, it's 39 degrees outside in comparison to the, you know, 72 and sunny that I'm used to in December. So um, it's a little daunting, but it's also really exciting. I mean, it's an incredible city. Um, there's just so much to do. There's so much energy. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm only three days in, but I, I'm loving it. And it's such a good time of the year too. Like yeah. I, I, I never really realized the magic of New York city around Christmas time until the last couple of years, we've made it like a tradition to, to take my son, either whether we have him for Thanksgiving or Christmas, we bring him to the city to go to a musical. Oh, that's and so fun. like, that's been fun. And so like, you kind of, you know, seeing the tree and all that stuff. Um, the, the real question is at what point are you going to get on the A train and go to Aqueduct? Whenever. Okay, the first and only time I've been to the Big A was last year. Nick and I were covering a couple of the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series races, and this was the funniest part, and this is just what made you know that you were at the Big A. There was a sign indoors that said, please don't feed the pigeons. So it was just, I, I honestly, I, I had never been to Aqueduct before. I've covered it, and I felt like it did have a, a very New York charm to it. Um, will I go back? Maybe. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's look, it's what it's like, I don't know. You like, it's like what a, I mean, you're what a racetrack should be to you is different because you grew up going to the most beautiful racetrack that there is, but like, like, yeah, I, you I'm, know, I, I'm a little bit, uh, biased in terms of, or like, um, I think what my viewpoint of a racetrack is, yeah, it's probably a little skewed because of Santa Anita. And yeah, and oh, and Del Mar as well, right? Yeah, but it's like I don't know. It's like when you think about what a racetrack supposed to be, it's about the better and the the two dollar wagerer and the and the guy yelling at the TV and the TV's not even that good. And it's like that's you know that that is Aqueduct, right? And then, right. but when you're when you're there, like where our where our like set is when when we're at Aqueduct, you look mm -hmm. out the window, you have this beautiful like view of the city of the city. It's like it's really kind of a cool place. And, you know, I, I'd imagine that it won't always be there. At least it doesn't yeah. feel like it's trending in that direction, but uh, you know, it's, I don't mind that. I like, a, I like an old kind of dusty racetrack. Well, to be honest, I think that's what I enjoyed about it. It felt just very New York, but very much a place that just diehard horse racing fans go. And I, I think that, um, yes, the big days are incredible and you have these, you know, events and parties, et cetera. But like at the root of it, what is horse racing? And it's like gambling, loving the horse, you know, diehard passion is they're coming down the stretch. Like, and that's kind of what I got from Aqueduct also while being really cold. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's chilly. It's breezy around there. It's definitely breezy around there. Um, you know, Brittany, I, I mean, I've always wanted to have you on, but the idea like really kind of sparked with your announced, um, I, I call everything a retirement retirement from FanDuel mm -hmm. TV, um, which was, you know, obviously started as TVG. Tell me about getting the TVG job when you got the job. Um, did you, were you, did you, did you audition? Did you, was it just a conversation? How did it all unfold? Gosh, this goes way back. So my, my background is more so acting. That's what I wanted to do from the age of three. I've always been so passionate about film and TV. I went down that whole route, um, found out that I hated the auditioning process and maybe enjoyed being myself more than trying to play a character, or maybe I just wasn't all that good at it. Who knows? But <laughs> I, um, I had started going to the racetrack a little bit more when I came back from, um, I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo for two years and transferred over to USC. So I started going to the races a lot more. Um, my dad kind of had better horses. He was running in stakes races. So I would try and visit as often as I could. Uh, and then obviously got to know TVG just from seeing everybody at Hollywood Park or, or wherever the races were. Um, and I went to a racing event at Craig's in West Hollywood with my dad. It was some charity event and we got talking with Frank Lyons. And Frank had said to me, you know what, Brittany, let me get you in touch with someone at TVG. I think you would be really great at it because I obviously had the love for racing had no idea how to read past performances at this time because it just wasn't something my dad really introduced me to. But I also had the comfort in front of the camera. So he got me in touch with my former boss now, Kevin Grigsby, and I met him uh, for a meeting. And in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I still want to pursue acting. Maybe I could go and do some paddock reporting at Del Mar. Not realizing that like paddock reporting at Del Mar is kind of the grade one of, of working in broadcasting. Uh, I thought, yeah, I could just throw myself into that. Um, no, not the case. So a year later, because I was definitely not ready for that, I learned how to read the past performances. Kevin McFarlane actually sat down and kind of gave me a seminar uh, how to read the past performances. And I went in for an audition. And I don't know how many people I was up against, but there were a few different parts of it. And, you know, the next thing you know, they bring me on part time. And then I go full time. And nine years later, I had been with TVG covering all different racing from around the world. So uh, a funny start to what I'm really blessed to have uh, pretty exciting nine years with the company. At the beginning of those nine years, did you were you still kind of pursuing the other part, the acting thing? Like at what point did you kind of fully punt on, um, this is what, this is my lane now. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. I remember being in Kevin's office and saying to him, you know what? I am still pursuing acting. That's still my dream. So I'm just going to go part-time, but I want you to know that this is still my dream. Right. So I was from the beginning, uh, very upfront about where I wanted my career to progress to, but not realizing at the time that I actually wanted it to progress further in broadcasting and in other sports and entertainment. Uh, so that was always kind of there. But I think once I went full time, which was probably, I don't know, about nine months or so after I started part time, I just loved it. I loved interviewing people. I was actually getting to, you know, work at the big tracks. My first interview, I believe, was a taped interview at Los Alamitos with Doug O'Neill, which is really funny now. Uh, but it was just something I fell in love with. And I realized, hey, maybe I could, you know, learn from the people around me. Maybe I could get better at this. Maybe this is the career path I want to take. I hate interviewing. Um, really? Like, well, you're, doing it right, you're doing it right now. <laughs> well, no, no, this, this is just a talk. Like when I'm talking about like at the racetrack, like yeah. a couple of times where like I would go to, to Churchill by myself or whatever, or like the one or two times I've reported, like when we're at an IRA track, but I don't ever really do it. But like with the times I have done it, I, well, first of all, I hate asking the person if I can, like, Hey yeah. man, can I talk to you for a second? I hate doing it. It's so uncomfortable. I hate it. I hate bothering people. Like I'm also the guy that like as a single guy, never approached a girl. Like at a, I just don't want to bother people. Like I just can't, <laughs> I just, I hate it. Um, so they, I hate that part. And then I hate the fact that I don't know when I'm going to be done. I think I'm probably going to get three questions, but then they're in your ear a little bit. So I'm like anxiously waiting for them to talk to me in my ear about when to wrap. <laughs> and then I yeah. never know 
what to say to be done. And I start panicking about it, like about halfway through. And I start panicking, like, oh, what am I going to do? Well, con- congratulations on the win. <sighs> and then you're just like, I just, I just always lay out. I never throw it back. I just, I get so uncomfortable. That's hilarious. I, you're definitely not the first, nor will you be the last to say any of those things. I don't know what it is. I, I think I preface it anytime I go see someone like, hey, I'm sorry, I got to bug you. And I think I've also, you know, grown up at the track. So at least a lot of people on the West Coast, um, especially when I was starting out, I think that helped a little bit just having known people already, right? Um, I obviously was quite terrible, I think, in the beginning. Hopefully I've gotten better since then. But I think you just learn by doing. And there's something I really love about just hearing people's stories. I love asking questions. I think I'm innately just an inquisitive person, but I totally get it. There are many a times where I'm like, what was my next question? And so then I'm fumbling through my words or I'm saying, oh gosh, I hope they talk for a long time. And then I get wrapped so I don't have to fit in my second question. That's the hardest part. Or when you have a second question and you don't have time for it and it was better than your first. That happens often. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's tough. That is, uh, it's, it's just, I'm always just so like, I don't know, but I also had like a really, I, I got better, but I had a really bad, like first alone experience. So like, you know, when oh, I first started tell. doing it, I was always with like someone, like the first time I ever did the show, I was like with Greg Wolf. So mm-hmm. I was like sitting there conversation conversationally, which is easy for me. I can do that. And then, and then, um, I went to, um, Oaklawn. I went to Oaklawn to like be on site, but I had Lafitte with me. So like it was me and Lafitte. So, you know, obviously, you know, Lafitte is just a professional is all professional. (laughs) So he like, he he just makes everything easy. You basically know what you're going to talk about before you talk about it. It was simple. Mm -hmm. So I got very confident in that moment. Like, Oh, this this, this shit's easy. And then I, they sent me back to Oaklawn by myself and I had to do a stand up by myself for the Mm -hmm. first time where they threw it to me. And then I had to take it and run with it. And it wasn't a conversation. It was more of like a, you know, how like I'm actually like presenting something, but I was giving a pick five ticket. Mm-hmm. and I had my iPad in my hand and I had the mic in my other hand. And then I realized that I had to scroll <laughs> through to get to the other races. So I'm doing that thing where mm-hmm. I'm like holding the iPad, but holding the mic to my face, but then using a finger to try to scroll. And then yep. I hit the top of my, the, of the PDF thing where it went all the way to the beginning. So then I couldn't get back to the thing to say what race it was. It was, I mean, it was, I was melting in that first moment. So it took me a second to kind of get used to like, okay, now, now I write it down in one yeah. page. I learned that. I'm sure that you, I mean, it, it probably felt a lot worse than it actually was, but have you ever closed out one of your past performances? Cause I use I annotate and then all of your work is lost. Cause I've done that oh numerous gosh. times. Oh yeah. Bad. So I use it. Oh yeah. I've, that it's, it's like, and it's the worst when you're like on camera, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I got, I use PDF expert. And so like, I've done that before, but luckily in those moments, when it comes to talking about that stuff, I can do that. It's the mm-hmm. other things that like really have thrown me for a loop this summer at Saratoga. I got like a really kind of important, like life text message, mm-hmm. you know, that was like very distracting and, you know, you get really comfortable when you're on set and like, you don't have to be as like, you know, all the way plugged in, you know how it is. Like you just, it's kind of like, you're just in a rhythm and you know, what's coming up next. And Wolfie asked me a question and I swear to you, I have no idea what he asked me. And yeah, I was because like, you're just so distracted. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, look, Wolfie, here's the thing. When you have these three-year-olds, I just basically threw out this completely <laughs> ridiculous blanket statement, but it's, it's a lot harder than it looks. I'll tell you that much. You know what? I mean, I've had a lot of people say that before and it's, it's just what you're comfortable with. Right. So because my background was acting, I think I felt a little bit more comfortable in front of the camera, but I've had numerous people, especially those that I interview just say how uncomfortable they feel in that moment. So my biggest goal when I do it is to make the other person feel comfortable. So I try just shooting the shit with them beforehand and then Hopefully they're comfortable enough to, you know, give me some good tidbits or at least when they're after the race, then most people are pretty happy to be interviewed. But it's there are a lot of aspects of it. Like I've started hosting a lot more. And for me, that's been a a bit of a um, 
you know, that, that one's been a little bit harder for me because you're, when you're reporting, you've got like three questions, you can write them down or whatever, and then go off of who they said. But when you're hosting, I mean, that whole show, you are basically the traffic cop, you are driving the ship. And so that's been, I think one that's been a lot more challenging for me, but I enjoy it at the same time. So it's, oh my God. Uh, yeah, all different aspects of, of the industry in terms of media coverage is, is fun, but yeah, it's hard and you want to get better, right? Like, I, I've had the uh, pleasure, as have you, working with some top-notch broadcasters. And so you just try to at least uh, get close to what they're doing. Oh, my God. Hosting. That's 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 it's a whole uh, other beast. Oh, my God. So, like, I made a joke. I made a joke, like, to Tony Alivato and Eric Donovan. And I was like, hey, yeah, you guys, let me host one day just for, like, an hour. But, like, just let me do it, like, my own way. Like, I don't have to be, like, overly serious about it. And they're like, well – you can do it. You got to be at least a, like somewhat serious because we have the sponsors. So we can't like, you know, we get a little bit serious, but we'll give you like an hour, like on YouTube or something. And then you can just like, just have fun with it. I just kind of wanted just to do it for fun for the challenge of it. Yeah. And then, um, they like offered it to me at Saratoga one time. I'm like, no, 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 not here guys. Like <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing it here. And then I finally did it at Aqueduct earlier this year. And I only did an hour. And when I tell you that, I hate it so it is so damn hard. Like just like having to just the simplest thing of like when the, the bumps to break and like what yeah. you say over the bump to break. And oh then, my God. Those like, are so hard. Those are so oh, hard. For me. It's <laughs> the worst. It's like uh, coming up next, Bill Mod winning his seventh. Blah, blah, blah. And then like, I don't have that broadcaster in me either. So it's even like harder to do. Um, but it's, I mean, it is so much more difficult than sitting in the other chair, it's not even close. Uh, I I would argue because I'm not an analyst that what you guys do is really hard. Also, I'm sorry, give yourself a little bit more credit. I think you're a very talented broadcaster. You're fun to watch, and you've created well, such a um, you know like people with the shirts. And I, I feel like you have such a, a vibe and a, a real like um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like it, it stands out. Like people know you, and this is your energy. This is a vi your vibe. This is what you bring to the table. I think it's really cool. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I just try to Lafitte, uh, when the first time we started to hang out, he just said like, yeah, I mean, like your role is what you're doing right now. We're sitting here having a beer. You just don't have the beer. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. That makes sense. And, and so, yeah, it's, but hosting's very hard and I respect the hell out of like what, you know, what Nick does when you guys are at ask it and what, what, you know, what, uh, all the hosts do especially on our show, your show, it's just, it's not easy. It's very it's just it's a harder job than I think people might uh, might uh, understand. Yeah, the prep is different. And then when you work with people like Lafitte and Nick, you're just constantly feeling like you suck because they're, so, <laughs> they're so damn good. It's obnoxious. Speaking of Lafitte and Nick, what was your so how did the NBC thing come about when, you know, you started at TVG, you, you kind of decided you were full time, you went full speed ahead and then the transition to NBC. How did that all come about? Well, I obviously had always loved the Breeders' Cup. I think they are two of the best days of racing. Um, and so for me, I felt like that was the next step. The next goal would be to try and get on some Breeders' Cup show to work for NBC. So I remember I met Brian Pettigrew, who used to be with the Breeders' Cup um, at my dad's first Breeders' Cup back in 2016, I think it was. And he had, you know, helped out my family with just getting things organized because it was our, our first time going. And he, I had just, you know, uh, had a great relationship with him. And he had suggested at one point in time, like, hey, if you need anything, let me know. And so I reached out to him. I just emailed him one day. I said, I would really love to be considered for the Breeders' Cup coverage. Um, I think at that point in time, I think I had been doing it long enough that I felt I was ready or prepared to do or make that kind of leap because it is a totally different type of show, right? You're doing more storylines and betting, et cetera. And it's obviously on a, a major, a major cable, uh, major network. So I just kept kind of pressing. I had come to New York. My agent set up a meeting in Stanford, Connecticut with the talent relations department just to chat. And I, I don't think anything transpired until a year later. I knew that I really wanted to get onto these shows. So I kept working on my reel. I kept pestering them. Hey, if you need anybody, I'd really love to be considered. And then finally, it came to fruition. My very first NBC show was the Stephen Foster Breeders' Cup Challenge Series show in July of 2017. And then I worked the Del Mar Breeders' Cup 
um, that year. Uh, so I think I was just that, you know, what do they say? This squeaky wheel gets the grease or I don't know how that goes. Yeah, that's essentially what it was. I just knew that that was kind of the next step, the next goal for me. And I just kept you know, keeping my pushing my name out there and trying to get any sort of FaceTime I could with the people that were making those decisions. And eventually it, it came around. I'll never forget that day, though. I had to interview Todd Pletcher. I think he had just, I don't know, maybe it was his 50th birthday, something. And my hand was shaking the entire time. I remember holding that NBC mic and my hand was shaking so bad. I thought I was going to puke. <laughs> I was so nervous. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, it's and you're right. Like you mentioned it, like when you, once you know someone, it's so much easier to have a conversation with them. It just, it's just so much like more comforting and like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have no problem talking to Todd now. It's just that first time around. It's like, Oh damn, here we go. Um, I feel like, God, it's funny. I feel like you were on, I feel like it was longer than 2017 that you've been on NBC, but I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think 2018 what? was my first derby, uh, which is crazy because that was then a triple crown uh, year, which was, I mean, insane. So, I mean, ever ever since then, I'm just, I'm very grateful to, you know, way back then, Brian Pettigrew, Pete Rotundo. Uh, he was a major player still to this day in anything involving my career. So I'm very grateful to uh, all of them, including Kevin, kind of taking a chance on somebody new. <laughs> Your your hardest week of, of, of work is it Derby Breeders Cup Ascot like what's the what's like your like really kind of taxing you know I know that the NBC stuff is hard you guys have a lot of you know requirements and responsibilities but what's the what's the hardest week? That's a good question because initially I would say. Uh, Kentucky Derby, because you're on for so long, it's it's the biggest platform um, of racing in terms of people watching, because that is, you know, what the general public knows about. But in terms of just amount of work going into it, my very first Royal Ascot, because we were up all five days and we were on air for the entire, I think at that time it was six races a day. Nick is the primary host, but I'm not reporting. I'm, I'm co-hosting with him. So, and also you have the international runners which i don't spend as much time when i'm not you know when i'm not there covering so i think royal ascot i was so exhausted after those five days but they were some of my favorite days on air it's just an incredible experience to be able to cover the international runners and just the pomp and circumstance that is royal ascot with all the incredible fashion and food and parties etc so it's everything all in one but from a work standpoint i think that was probably the most intensive outside of breeders cup but now we're we're at one day so breeders cup would definitely take the cake especially this past year because i was hosting so different amount of work and prep goes into that yeah it's just it's 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 those back-to-back -back days really get you you know what i mean <laughs> it's the one-off days you know even as, as extensive as they can be like the derby you know i can i can imagine how that could be tough did you would had you been to royal ascot prior to working i had I actually went, um, I went with a couple of my friends. We did this, you know, we just graduated college, I think, and we did a, a big vacation with about 10 of us. And we ended up at Royal Alaska and all got dressed up, top hat and tails, the whole thing. And it was epic. And ever since then, I'm like, I need to go back every year. It is such a special experience. And I think my friends felt the same way about it. But it's different. I mean, you know this. It is when you go there. I mean, Americans, I think we are loud and rowdy and we root our horse to the finish line. Did not feel that way. You could probably hear a pin drop at Royal Alaska. I'm like, ooh, this is embarrassing. I'm definitely drawing attention, not in a good way. <laughs> Yeah, good good thing. Good thing your dad didn't have one. Some of my favorite uh, videos are you rooting your <laughs> rooting your dad's horses home. You gotta you gotta pull it together a little bit, be a little bit more demure about the whole thing. Uh, but no, that's what I love about racing, right? It's that adrenaline rush that you feel when your horse is in a in a pointed spot to win and you get to root them home. I mean, that's one of the most exciting things about racing. I saw I don't remember where it was, but I saw I, honestly, I think I actually I remember I know where it was now. I was like I had a, I don't have an agent, but I like had a call with like talking to someone or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so the, the guy was like, Hey, do you have a reel? And I was like, Oh no. Cause I've never, I've never had a reel because I've never really needed a reel because like Tony just found me. And then I was like, that was it. I never really. So I was like, well, damn, I guess I gotta make myself a reel real quick. So I, I watched your reel to figure out like, Oh, this is what a reel oh, look like. Which and version of that? <laughs> I don't remember. I just found it on the internet. Um, but there was, you, you did a, you did a baseball game and I was wondering like, 
do you did you find it to be basically the same gig or did you find it harder easier to kind of to, to do another sport oh i love that by the way so nbc on peacock had um a few baseball games and this one was over fourth of july weekend and they were trying t- testing something out because it was let's say two teams that hadn't uh, had the greatest of seasons. It was the Tigers and Royals game and they wanted to get, um, you know, they wanted to grow viewership. So they did an announcer list game. So basically just the Nat sound and everything. And they wanted a reporter to roam the stands, getting interviews with fans, vendors, et cetera. Uh, so when they, when my producer who covers racing asked me to do it, I said, hell yeah, I am obsessed with baseball. And then just the opportunity to do it up when I'm interviewing, I don't know, just uh, fans or you don't have any sort of game plan. But like when I interview a trainer, I know what I'm going to ask. When I'm at a baseball game, just randomly talking to fans, you just have to go off of what they're doing. So the prep work was totally different. It's more so you just have to be in the moment. You have to talk off the cuff, right? But it was a lot of fun. And I, I mean, I loved every minute of it. And so you know, for, for me, I kind of, and it sounds like you do too. I enjoy the challenge of trying something new. Yeah. I mean, but, but those are hard though. Like, like it's, it's funny as it sounds. And I think people will find this to be kind of interesting is like when I do a cart talk, I get more stressed out about doing those than I do. Um, like, you know, giving out a pick five ticket or talking through a race or whatever it might be, because, you know, it's like that. Con- those conversations when you're doing something like you're doing, kind of like a pop-up interview like that, mm-hmm. like they go where you take them. And if you don't take them anywhere, they don't go anywhere. And then it, it becomes very awkward. You know what I mean? And and you, and you never know what they're going to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, like what if, if, if the guy says to you like, oh, who's your favorite batter for the Royals? You're like, oh, shit, I got to I got to know every batter for the Royals just in case he asked me that question. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to do those light, funny kind of wherever it goes. Ones to me sometimes can be more, more challenging. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. Because you don't know where they're going and you can't prep. And I, Oh God, ask any of my colleagues. I love to prep and I annoyingly prep so much so that say I have a stand up for the Kentucky Derby and we have 25 seconds to get in a story that I will ask all of my colleagues what they think of my story and have them listen to me. You know, it's funny. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask, like, because I, I, I saw you do a stand-up one time, and I thought to myself, like, holy shit, did she memorize that? Because, like, I can't memorize things. If I memorize them, it makes me mess it up. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, if I try to memorize it, then the entire time I'm trying to say it 100%, do you memorize or do you just get so comfortable with it that you freestyle it based off of reading the same thing over and over and over and over again? Mm, okay, a little bit of both. A little behind the scenes for me, I write out all of my um, stand-ups. So, and then I try and time myself. But you know, we also have a, a editorial. He's head of editorial, and he basically asks for for the Kentucky Derby at least all of our reports to make sure they flow together. So we have to have those all prepped and ready too. Um, but for me, I will write it out. I'll have it on my iPad. And if I really need it, I'll have my iPad there for me. But I try my best to have it memorized so that I don't have to look at it. But if I'm off camera, they'll tell me when I'm off camera. Because say for the Derby, I might have 20 different reports. It's almost impossible to memorize all of those. So they give you a heads up when you're off camera. That's helpful. So then you can make sure that you have your place and you'll come back on camera for the end of it. But it's brutal. I get more stressed out. Out for those stressed out for those stand-ups than I do anything else I cover. Oh, it's the worst. It I I I can't, yeah. I I there's there's just no, I just can't memorize anything. I just have to like, and it's unfortunate because it doesn't come off as clean, but that kind of works with my thing. Like, not mm-hmm. like I said, like not being like all broadcastery and clean. Like, I just try to like just I'll I'll write it out and then I'll just read it a bunch of times and then I just just kind of do it and hope that it sticks. Like a lot of this stuff sticks that way it comes out naturally. Cause like if I start talking, like I write, then it, it doesn't seem natural. And then I can't, I just, it just screws me up. I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't do it. And like my, and like the guy, like all our producers know, like, don't give me ad reads. Like they, they try to give me these ad reads sometimes I do. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm gonna get hung up on some word. Like, just don't make me do that. Yeah, <laughs> those are, those make Lafitte, make Lafitte do it. 
Yeah, yeah that's why we pre-tape those. Um, oh, funny. And I, I hope Lafitte doesn't get mad at me for saying this, but one of my favorite moments was when we were at Arlington Park and you have to, he was hosting and you have to record, you pre-record things, right? Um, especially the billboards. And there was one for three chimneys and we gave him such a hard time because he kept saying three chimneys and we're like, Lafitte, chimneys, chimneys. And it just turned into this thing. <laughs> that he had to keep doing it because he was saying chimneys and he is I mean we all know he is probably one of the best most talented broadcasters I have ever worked around and just an incredible human being but we love giving him crap for that now <laughs> yes oh my god that's hilarious yes chimneys he gets people that he gets so upset when he makes the most ridiculous no one in the history of the world would ever notice it mistake he gives himself such a hard time and um and you talk about preparation I don't yes. know I don't I, I don't know where you rank when it comes to him I can't even get him to go to dinner with me at Saratoga no matter nope. what time it is unless it's Sunday night he will not go no matter what hey man low-key dinner at my house right after the race is six o'clock in mm -hmm. and out will be done by seven no no he just he will not hang out he will not. His work ethic is unbelievable, and that's why he's so good. Same thing. We would be, uh, it would be Wednesday or something of Derby week, and we say, "Oh, we're gonna go to Jeff Ruby's for dinner," and uh, he'd be like, "Okay, I'll, I'll grab a cocktail with you guys downstairs," and then he would go up to his room to prep. But again, that's. I feel really lucky to have worked with so many incredibly talented people because they just make you better. You know, I, uh, you know, so Lafitte, Nick, two of them for sure in terms of you know working with them at NBC. I, I have learned a lot from them and work ethic 1000% from Lafitte is one of them. Britt, would, would, would baseball kind of be your, your like, you know, not like dream gig, but like fun gig you'd like to do others. Like, is that would be that kind of the other sport you'd like to do? Or is there, was it as a football, what's kind of your other sport you, if you were going to be doing something you'd like to do? I mean, I grew up loving, you know, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Anybody that's seen my dad 90% of the time, he's got a Dodgers hat on, even if it's a big day. So I love baseball, you know, grew up with it. Um, really, I, I'd say in terms of knowledge, probably second sport and after horse racing, tennis is a big one for me too, because I played it. Those are the two ones that I really follow. Uh, but for me, like I said before, I just, I enjoy sports. And I think that, you know, you probably the same way it's there's something about sports that I think just got me really invigorated and uh, the competition aspect the story aspect etc so for me I I would be happy to you know cover any sport right because there's something special about each of them but baseball is the one I really love um college football I feel like I really fall in love with college football I went to SC so I got that you know big college game day experience and then we weren't very good for a while so I fell off and then <laughs> and then here comes Caleb Williams and they're exciting to watch again. So except this year, but it's been fun. I, I really love the environment and just like what college game day is. I went to the Michigan Ohio state game recently, which was epic. So if I were to put something like sideline reporting, big 10, uh, you know, any sort of college football game, that would be pretty high up there. Your, so this is a, so there's certain people that get this in a one part question, but you gotta, you gotta have it in a two part question. Okay. Favorite horse of all time that you were close to, right? Cause obviously your dad's going to have some that are going to be some of your favorite. And yeah. then just one that you weren't necessarily close to two favorite horses of all time. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to take my dad's horses out of the equation. So it's a really easy answer for me. My favorite horse that I was close to would be Beholder, undoubtedly. She, I, you know, watching what she did at the Pacific Classic still gives me chills today. And then, um, you know, I'm good friend with Richard Mandela's daughter, Andrea. And so just like knowing what that horse meant to the family too, and just seeing the connection between Beholder and Richard and really covering her from the moment she left her stall to the racetrack that day and just throughout her career. I'll never forget Breeders' Cup. I think it was 2016. Songbird Beholder coming down to the wire together. I was there as a fan because I had worked earlier in the day. I'm standing right next to Samantha Siegel and we are jumping up and down, screaming at the top of our lungs. And then we start crying when they post her number. It's just, I, I didn't even have an association with her other than covering her. But uh, Beholder easily would probably be my, my favorite horse that I was close to. She was such a, such a badass. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, her Pacific Classic, I'm assuming you were there that day, right? Yes, yes, I was. And I remember, 
I remember watching, I mean, I did the interview with um, B. Wayne Hughes and Richard after the race, and he said that he wanted to take on American Pharaoh. So that that was pretty epic. Um, but the move that she made and still gives me chills to, to this day and the roar of the crowd too. It was special. Oh, I, I forgot about that. She was supposed to run in that classic. Yeah, but she she got sick. Yeah. So she was supposed oh. it was supposed to be the beholder American Pharaoh matchup, and then she got sick, wasn't able to run, and then they kept her in for another year. And she didn't have you know the year that she had had previously. I think Stellar Wind, you know, continually was beating her, and then she comes into the distaff, and it's the undefeated you know Songbird against her, and down to the wire, just like noses on the wire. It was so exciting, and her to go out a winner. Um, was pretty special just to and cover it as well. I don't, I wasn't working that day, but just from to cover her and her career, most of it at least was awesome. Do you, are you, do you, do you find yourself biased in terms of Del Mar Saratoga or do you, do you have a, a place for both of them? How can I not be biased? Come on. I spent every summer since I was born at Del Mar. So it's my home away from home. And I didn't go to Saratoga until I think just a few years ago. I don't remember. Maybe it was when I did the Whitney walk with Mike um, but Saratoga, there's just something so unique about it. I feel like you're transported back in time, uh, when you go to the backyard and the picnic tables and everybody there has got a form and they're just, it's, it feels like it's a tradition for a lot of people. So yeah, I can have a place in my heart for both, but there's no doubt I'm biased. I mean, come on, Delmar's great. Where does, where does Brittany hang out? Um, Delmar time, where, where, where are your food spots? Where are your, your, your coffee spots? Where, where do you grab lunch? What are, you, where, what are your spots you like in Del Mar? I feel like I haven't been in so long. I forget where all the places are now. Okay, I'm, well, I'm gonna, Saratoga. Yeah, Ray, I'm going to need all of the tips from you in terms of Saratoga because I really do want to take the train up, like you had said. Um, so Del Mar, Pamplemousse is obviously a big one. This is not sponsored by Pamplemousse. Uh, they have great spaghetti and meatballs on Sundays. Best sushi would be Ken's, uh, Ken's Sushi Workshop down off of like Delmar Heights kind of area coffee. I don't know. Not, not, not big on that per se. Monarch is fun for like sporting events. That's kind of downtown Delmar. I love a good dirty martini at La Berge. I have kind of my favorite spots. Oh, and I can't believe I'm forgetting fish tacos at the brig. Now that if you haven't been there overlooks the racetrack, they have, you know, TVG FanDuel TV, probably on every, every television um, and a racetrack crew is there and they have the best swordfish tacos with hot sauce I've ever had. So just a, just a few of my favorites from growing up there. I, I do love a little, I do love the Friday late post brig first. When I used to go all the time, that was like mm -hmm. a go-to move where you could go eat lunch at the brig and then go down to, uh, to the track. I wish that the, I wish there was a world in which that like one of us started like a little bit more staggered, like either we were two mm -hmm. weeks later or Del Mar was two weeks earlier or vice versa where we could, you know, or you could, could, could make it to both. It's just for us. It's, I know it's impossible for you because unless you're coming for NBC to get mm -hmm. over here because you're down there. I mean, well, it would have been impossible and it's, you know, it's impossible for me. I did pull it off though in 2000 and I want to say maybe 19, mm -hmm. I played my first year working at Saratoga in the summer, I played um, in the Del Mar contest. And so, and I had my son Austin and I was flying him back to Austin. And so I left on a Friday from New York, went to Del Mar, played in the contest, flew him home to Austin and then came back to Saratoga. And we luckily we canceled one of the days. So it worked out really well. Um, but yeah, other than that, I haven't, I haven't tried to pull out the, pull off the, the, the mid season move in, in a long time. We need to talk to the powers that be separated a little bit. Isn't it the most controversial uh, debate, right? I feel like it's so polarizing, Saratoga yeah. versus Del Mar. Everybody has an opinion, and it's usually a strong opinion at that. But I think that's what makes it kind of fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's because it's so different. Yeah. Like, I think the people that really love Del Mar, you know, don't, fully get Saratoga and vice versa as well. Like, you know, I think about someone like Billy Koch, right? Like mm -hmm. the idea of like him wanting to wear shorts, a t-shirt and flip-flops every day, and then being stopped trying to get to the grandstand at Saratoga probably doesn't vibe well for his brain, which I completely mm -hmm. understand. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then it's, it's, it's just, it, it makes sense. Right. I, I, I get both sides of the argument, but, um, I think it's comparing you know, apples to oranges. Both are great. I think we could say that. Yeah. And the racing's great. So like, that's, that's something that, 
that we can lean on for sure in, in terms of like, you know, the quality of racing, the, the, the future superstars that you get to see, the current superstars that you get to see. So um, mm-hmm. I do love it. I do. I do. I enjoy both of them very much, but I have obviously become a little bit partial to Saratoga. Yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you all the tricks of the trade. Yeah, the train up is super easy or I usually train down, but um, it's easy. It's I just easy. love that there's a Shake Shack there. You and me both. Um, <laughs> it's dangerous, but it's so damn good. It is. And, it, and we, we always joke that Shake Shack at Saratoga hits differently than any other Shake Shack. Like mm-hmm. it's, I don't know what it is, but it just hits just a little bit different. Um, um, but yeah, it's, it's good. My favorite Shake Shack, Shake Shack story is a little behind the scenes. Andy Surly one time, like got someone to bring him French fries and a lemonade, mm-hmm. like in the middle of the show. But we, it was, we are having a bee problem <laughs> in Saratoga. There's a bees were out. There's nuts. He, the bee started attacking his lemonade. When I tell you that he flipped out, he flipped out, was yelling and screaming. And exactly when you're, when you, if you're listening to this, close your yeah. eyes and how you think Andy Serling was flipping out because bees were attacking his lemonade. That is exactly what he was doing. Um, so I, I, we try to keep the Shake Shack away from the set. I can absolutely picture that right now. In terms of uh, animal stories, um, that would be an insect, but we had a rodent at the set at Santa Anita. It was a possum that was hidden in one of the drawers. It was the grossest, scariest, squirmiest thing I've ever seen. The tail was like a foot long. I, uh, it was me, Christina, and Joaquin all on the set. I was reporting at the time, and we see it. And I ran. I get to higher ground. I'm on like a step stool. And they had to bring people out from Santa Anita to like grab it. It snuck out of the cabinet that it was in and went underneath and we never saw it again so who knows there might be a family of possums living underneath but oh just seeing that tail creeps me out so yeah we're, we're not just dealing with horses here i don't do uh i don't do rodents i don't uh, i can't i i they if they're small like i just i can't do it. it it really creeps me out i wouldn't have i wouldn't have been able to handle that situation Ugh, no no thanks no thanks uh yeah there's um i think in my goodbye video they did they definitely had visual of me freaking out over that so yeah you could put that in your mind uh how would i be reacting seeing a possum yeah <laughs> well n- now you're in new york city so oh I, there's a lot <laughs> yeah i gotta get used to it <laughs> good luck yeah i i just i try not to when there's like corners of when i'm walking around new york city I intentionally don't look in places where I think I might see something because it will freak me out. Mm-hmm. Like it will, it will 100%. So I just kind of keep my eyes, my eyes straight and, uh, and, uh, and, and try not to mess with that. Have you been subwaying at all or are you, are you steering clear? I've been walking. I love the subway. See, that, that's the thing for me here in New York. Like the mode of transportation is incredible. So I've been walking a lot as of late. I might take the subway up to Soho later today, but I feel like, there are so many things having lived in Southern California my whole life that moving to New York are just brand new. Like, I don't know, shopping. I went to Target the other day and I thought, oh, you know, I'll just grab a bunch of things and walk back. I had about 12 different bags and I'm walking looking probably absolutely ridiculous. And it's just little things like that that you don't <laughs> you don't realize uh, are a lot easier with your car. But when you have to walk about five blocks back home, it's a little bit different. Um, groceries, obviously there's just a lot of little things that you have to get used to, but I kind of love it. Um, oh, watching sports. I tweeted this yesterday. I'm like, really, how do people watch live sports on the East coast? I stayed up until 1am watching the Lakers last night. Thankfully they won, but that was brutal. Oh my gosh. It's a, it's an argument that I, I make so often because you know, my wife's a very, she's a very prideful East coaster. Mm-hmm. She loves to make fun of the great state of Texas. And, and, and mm-hmm. trust me, we give plenty of reasons that we deserve it. Mm-hmm. But um, the one thing I say is that, and, and I'll, I'll see what you feel about this to me. Central time zone is the best sports time zone. Like 10 AM football to me is a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Like 10 a.m. first game, I'm more of a noon guy. But also, 8:30 Monday night football to me is preposterous. Like I, 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 I can't stay up that late anymore. What, what, mm-hmm. what? Why are we doing football so late? I, the East Coast time zone for sports is horrible. I don't know why. I mean, 7 p.m. for a baseball game on the West Coast. I'm thinking, how in the world are people watching on the East Coast? Right? I, I don't, I don't think that's necessary. Can't you do like a 5 p.m. 
West Coast game, something like that seems a little bit more more normal. But this will be a, a new thing for me. I'm kind of a night owl anyways, but yeah, that's that's a bit brutal. Baseball is going to be tricky for you, the Dodgers, right? I mean, what time What time is like their like evening, you know, first pitch? Um, well, like what time 7 p.m. typically. I mean, we get 6, 7 p.m. Sometimes, obviously, you got the weekend games that are around 12 or 1 o'clock. But I'm just going to have to have my dad keep me updated, which he will because he watches every single game, including uh, preseason, you know, spring training. Really? Oh, yeah. He's a diehard. He'll be – I'll never forget. We were in Kentucky – he had a horse running at Keeneland, I think, and we went out to dinner. It was some nice restaurant in a hotel. He brings his iPad and has the volume up and is watching a baseball game. Somebody hits a home run, and he goes, yes. Everybody in the restaurant turns and looks at us. It was so, – I was mortified. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> he can't right. be bothered. It is his sport. He loves it. Your favorite non-racing sporting event that you've that you've attended in person? Um, it would probably be just off the top of my head when the Dodgers were in the, let's see, I think it was probably the NLDS, um, 2020. So it was during COVID and it was held at the Rangers stadium. And my dad and I last minute bought tickets. It was just us two. We went to, where is it? Arlington? Yep. I think. Yeah. So we flew into Dallas. We went to the game. We walked in the first I think first inning, they go up 11, 11-0 maybe. And it was such a surreal experience because obviously it's, it's you know, during the pandemic, it's very limited in terms of how many people are there and they separated everyone in terms of the seats. But just to be there and feel like, you know, a sense of normalcy, I say a sense because obviously the stadium wasn't packed, but you were able to go watch a game again, right? And I was just there with my dad, uh, two, you know, big Dodgers fans. He's the reason I am. And so I think that was just a really special moment. We went to two games, flew back home. They won the series and moved on and yeah, that was that was quite special and then when the world series eventually you know um that year which we watched at home which was pretty cool but it's, it's i would one, okay aside from that and you're involved in this one super bowl you <laughs> tell that story oh my god so i i actually teased this on pete and i did a podcast this morning about just like what's going on at rtip and you know stakes recap for the weekend and yeah. you know we i teased that i was having you on and blah, blah blah and i said i said it's a funny story i want to get her perspective how she remembers it because like we you know basically my friend robert chow whose whose father loves to buy super bowl tickets like got super bowl tickets for us and he had a friend that was supposed to come a couple of friends was going anyways we did we planned it where we it was it was a super bowl was in san francisco we planned it where we stopped at san anita so that we could hang out on the Friday before, I believe, and just like, you know, hit the Eddie Logan and just hang mm -hmm. out. And you know how the Eddie Logan goes, you know, the sun starts setting and Orcadia's pouring the drinks and people start uh -huh. getting loose. And, and next thing you know, the, 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 the four of the people supposed to be four of us going to the Super Bowl then turned into like six uh -huh. and Duke Matisse and you and Andrea and Tom Lute all got into the mix. And we went to the Super Bowl in San Francisco. My brother came and my favorite part was before we got into the, into the game, we, my brother, two things happened. My brother got absolutely wasted somehow. <laughs> like so wasted. He spilled nacho cheese all over this like designer sweatshirt he had on. And we watched Kobe's back. We were in, I don't remember where we were watching. Yes, we watched you, Kobe's back run. We like in some in, bar. Yeah. Some bar, like right outside the stadium. Uh, oh my God. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. My parents were at Keeneland. I think he won the Commonwealth that day. So we were watching it on our phone when we were there. But what I remember most was being at Santa Anita in the Eddie Logan room and somebody mentioned to Andrea and I, Hey, do you guys want to go to the Super Bowl?" And we look at each other and we're like, I mean, Andrea is the type of person that is very spontaneous. She wouldn't think twice about it. But me, I'm like, I've got work tomorrow. I'd have to request it off. There are all these things that are going through my head. Right. So I think by the time we had a couple glasses of champagne, I'm like, how could I miss this? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's Super Bowl 50 and it's like just, you know, an hour and a half or so away. So I remember calling my boss and saying, okay, I know that this is last minute, but I feel like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Can I please take a vacation day tomorrow? 
And well, we know the rest of the story. They granted it. Uh, that was epic. That was so much fun. We picked up our Broncos gear. Wasn't that um, Peyton Manny's last game? I mean, he retired. I think it was. That. Yeah, yeah. They played the Panthers, and um, it was it. I think it was the first year that that stadium opened too. The one, in, I don't remember what it's called. How where epic the, where... was um, that uh, halftime show with Coldplay? Was I? I who was I? Oh, it's Coldplay, wasn't it? Uh-huh. And I think yes. Beyonce came out too, and maybe Lady Gaga or somebody did the national anthem i mean it was it was a memorable event to say the least yeah and my favorite part is is, is i as i tell the story too if anyone wants to know how die hard of a horse player duke matisse is he mm-hmm. had his past performance with with him the entire time and was betting on his phone from his seat at super bowl um that's the that's how dedicated he is to the craft mm-hmm. uh-huh uh-huh oh i love it and then we went to some sushi restaurant we were all absolutely dead that night Oh my gosh. Yes. I don't, I, I don't even remember. I think I left early. I was so exhausted. Yeah, I, don't think, I don't think you were there. It, it, was, it took two hours to walk to the car, to get to, to find the car. To, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was an adventure, but it was, it was fun and very random. At yes. That. So, That's yeah, honestly, uh, those are the best moments, right? The random yeah, unplanned ones. How many derbies had you attended prior to working derbies? Uh, one. Um, the first one that my dad ran in, I had said that I didn't want to go to the Derby until my dad had a horse running. And obviously anybody in the sport knows how difficult it is to get a Kentucky Derby runner. My dad had been training for over 30 years, just never had a horse that would take him there. And then he won the bluegrass with a horse named dance with fate. And even then, cause it was three weeks turnaround, I think. And the race was, um, over a synthetic surface at Keeneland. He, I remember in the interview, and he got a lot of crap for this from his owners. They were like, okay, so on to onto the first Saturday in May, onto the Derby. And my dad's like, ah, oh, well, you know, we got to see how he comes out of it. <laughs> typical, <laughs> typical trainer um, where all the owners are so excited because he's atop the points list, right? So anyways, that was, it was 2014. That was my very first Kentucky Derby is when California Chrome ran. And actually, Art Sherman and his entire crew were two boxes away from us. And I just started freelancing or part-time with TVG at that time. So my very first one, it was really special. He finished fifth that day. I'll never forget doing the walkover with my dad. Um, Pretty surreal experience. Uh, If you ever get the opportunity to, to do that walk, it's unlike anything you've really ever done before. So I feel very, very blessed to have had that opportunity Um, and then to work it and then to interview my dad on the walk when storm the court ran. That was, that was pretty special too. Did you get emotional? Oh yeah. Um, I think that probably the most emotional I've gotten in an interview with my dad was obviously at the breeders cup um, when storm the court won, but I think it was walking with him before I did the interview because they were last to come to me. The walkover situation is really interesting. You've got three people you probably have to get. You have to eye them on the walkover, and then you have to run to them afterwards, right? So he was the last person that I had to get for that walkover, and we were already about in the paddock at the time. So I had quite a bit of time just to walk with him as they got through all the other interviews. And I think it was in that moment that I just thought, wow, like this is – this is really special. Not only am I walking over with my dad's second Kentucky Derby runner, which is incredibly hard to do, but I also get to talk to him about it. Your walkover shoes. What do you, you, you bring, you bring two pairs of shoes with you. You have to, right? Oh, this is a thing. Yeah. I, uh, I wear my heels and then I've got a pair of I've upgraded. I've gotten a lot smarter over the years. I have a pair of somewhat chic looking uh, Hunter boots that I wear. So I'll bring those. They'll, they take up room in my suitcase, but at least I don't get, you know, my heels all messed up because you never know what the weather is going to be. It could be raining. It could be hot. But regardless, if you're doing that walkover, your shoes will be ruined. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, I, that would be that would be tough. I'd have to I'd have to if I ever do the walkover with somebody, I got to throw some bags over my shoes or, or something. Oh, you'll um, see that. That's the funniest part, too. I think it was the first derby that I did. It was absolutely pouring down rain. And you see either guys carrying their girlfriends or people having those little, you know, when you go into a house and they have those blue booties. Um, that you yeah, put on, yeah. You don't, yeah, you'll see people in those. You'll see people in rain boots with parkas on. I mean, it, it's hilarious. Fashion goes out the window. Yeah, right out the window. Oh, yeah. Brittany, did it take you how, – how long did it take you to stop accidentally saying TVG? Oh, God. Or did you get it pretty good? 
I mean, I think I got it pretty good in the beginning. And then I threw to, I think it was Matt Carruthers. Um, and I said, you know, more from the, the TVG studios in just a bit. Let's get to Matt. And I said, damn it. I knew I was going to do that. It was hard. I think it was hard for everybody, too. I think I still do it. Yeah, of course. It makes it makes it makes a ton of sense. I, I can understand that being a being a um a challenging thing. Um laugh about it. No, of course. I mean well, whatever. Yeah, who, who cares? Like it doesn't 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 uh it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Um do you do you did you find yourself as you were on FanDuel TV or TVG, did you find yourself betting a little bit more? You said you kind of had to introduce yourself to the past performances. Did you did did that did that job make you more of a gambler than you were prior? If I'm being honest, no, it didn't because I think that at least while while I'm on air or working, I think when I'm not working and at the track with a group of friends, then I would definitely get them into the pick fours, pick fives. But I, you know, while on there, again, like I said, I am a host reporter. I would not say that I am an analyst. I'm not an expert handicapper by any means. I stay in my lane, right? If anybody would notice, I rarely ever gave out a ticket or made a selection it, that wasn't really because I didn't want to have people think that I thought that I was any sort of expert analyst or handicapper, right? Like I believe that the Matt Carruthers, you, um, you know, I just, I feel like there are true handicappers and that is not me. So anyways, I also, you know, that being said, I don't love losing money. I have a really hard time with it. So at least if I'm pooled with a group of people, maybe doing a, I did a show parlay at Saratoga once, which was a blast and maybe a pick four with some friends and whatnot. I'm uh, Hey, I'm living in New York now. I got to be tight with my money. Of course. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's expensive. I mean, I mean, we were there the other day. I did a, I took a, a short Uber. It was like $48. Like, damn, that's no kidding. It's so insane. yeah, to answer your question, I don't think it made me bet more, but I have a lot of respect for all of the analysts that I would be working with. And hey, if they had you know money on a horse, I will be your biggest fan. I will root that horse home for you. Yeah, no, I, 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 that's one thing that like people that work with me are always pretty impressed with is like how you. It's hard to tell if I'm winning or losing if I'm if I'm if I'm on air. Like I mean, I still play. Like I don't. I mean, I'm not gonna not. But it's it's, it's one thing that I, you, the one way you can tell my one tell if, if it's an HD and as a close up. if you mm -hmm. see, if you see perspiration on my forehead, if I start to sweat a little bit, it's cause I just got beat. That's how it comes out. I, I just will sweat a little bit and then, and then, but I'm always hot. So it's not the easiest tell, but, but, uh, yeah, I, I, that's, that's how, you know, I got, I got beaten a race. Usually. So does it have to be like a big beat though? Like you're alive to a massive score, final leg of the pick, you know, pick six sequence and you just get nipped at the wire. Like what, what's that tell? No, I mean, it, they're all about the same, uh, like, really? a, like a, like a small score or a big score. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think if you play enough, you get beat enough that like, you just kind of you know, you, 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 you just kind of learn to process it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And no, don't get me wrong. Like I if I get off of air, it'll take me all the way to drive all the way home till I'm like, Oh, what? I cannot believe <laughs> I just got beat by, cannot just, I can't believe that Chad Summers just snapped me off and, and a pick six for 60,000. You know what I mean? It's, sorry, Chad. Um, yeah, but like, Chad. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? But like that, that's, that's, um, that, yeah, but I've, I've, I've tried to, you you can't overreact obviously or then you you won't be able to do it mm -hmm. but it's been it's been it was a tricky adjustment at first at least i'll say that much i i give so many props to people that are on air that are wagering at the same time that keep it together because i mean we we've seen people at the track that are alive for a big score and then they're rooting their horse home like i don't know how you keep it together then again when a race is running you are not on camera <laughs> So that's what yeah. they need. That's probably what they need to uh, record during. The yeah, ex exactly. That, that helps. That helps. And then it's like, and then it's like the, the, the yelling, you know, calling, you know, rooting your horse home and then waiting for the announcer. You, you, you got to be done rooting by the announcer. The yep. announcer says who the third place horse was because your mic's about to be hot. But you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm lucky. I haven't had too many hot mic experiences that, uh, uh that I regret. Yeah, that's anytime, like, say I'm on the desk for one of my dad's horses running. 
and I'm like rooting the horse down the stretch and you know I'm clapping so hard that my hands are they're turning red and then I would be like five four three two across the wire it was the Peter Erton trainee that <laughs> just trying to like go from you know crazy excited to okay take a deep breath you've got to be professional absolutely well, Brittany, I'm sure you've got some neighborhoods to explore and 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 some things to do in the, in your new home or some groceries to go pick up and try to figure out how you're going to get them to your uh, to your apartment. But I wanted to uh, I wanted to tell you congratulations on on what was a, an awesome career at, at FanDuel and TVG, and and you're one of those people that I think, at least for me um, as a friend, but even I think other people in the industry, like we're super proud of of, of you. And like, we're excited to see what you do next and where you go and, and representing us as a sport. Well, and then we obviously hope that you won't go too far away from us as well in, in racing. So congratulations on the, on the retirement mm -hmm. and uh, we wish you the best of luck in, in your next moves. No, thank you so much for saying that. I, I've received an overwhelming amount of support and it just means the world to me. Um, being there for as, as long as I was, I owe I owe the company a lot and I owe this sport a lot, right? It's it's super special. And I said this when I left, it is a part of my DNA. So um, I will always, you know, somehow hopefully be involved in racing. Um, I'm excited to continue my work with NBC. So I'll, I'll be there. I'll still be at the track. I'll see y'all at the races, but I'm excited for, um, you know, what's to come as well. So I really appreciate you saying that and just, you know, everyone's support during this kind of, kind of big transition. Talk about a big year, 2023. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, it's, yeah, you got a dog too. Oh yeah. Got a Dalmatian. She's been very good. I haven't heard her bark once. Is she, how is she handling this, uh, this, the concrete jungle? I have to say, well, she doesn't have all her shots yet, so she can't go out for a walk. So anytime she goes outside, she's carried, which means she's a little princess now. But I have to say, she's about four months old, and she has handled it like such a champ. She's adorable. Um, she is full of energy. And we just walked past a, a fire station the other day, and her being a Dalmatian, I thought that that would be just very apropos that she lives right by one. <laughs> oh, that uh, I hope I hope there was a selfie taken of that moment. Oh, there will be, don't you worry. Okay, good. Well, look, I, like I told you before, this is that moment where and in, in when I'm having a conversation or an interview with someone that I don't ever know how to end it. So I, I appreciate you taking the time and you're in New York. We're both in New York a little bit. So we'll, we'll hang out. We got it. We, I'll see you at some point. I so appreciate you having me on. You are absolutely crushing it. So keep doing it. And I can't wait to see you. Thanks, Brittany. Talk soon. Thanks. Britt, I, I appreciate you taking the time and uh and uh taking the time to hang out with us and, and like i said I, I mean what i said at the end we're excited to see um what's next for you we we at least for me and then i think a, a majority of of uh, racing fans uh take a lot of pride in, in seeing what you do next as being kind of one of our own racing's own and uh we're excited uh to see your next move but like i said hope you don't go too far i want to thank our friends at qatar racing want to thank sheikh fahad uh for the support of this podcast Looking forward to uh, the maroon, not the maroon, the claret. See, I remember that from my episode. Them claret or claret, 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 and, and gold. I don't know how to pronounce that, but that doesn't surprise anyone. Um, I want to thank everyone uh, for tuning in. Thank everyone for listening. Thanks everyone for the support uh, for all the podcasts at In the Money Media, The Money uh, Players Podcast, Redboard Rewind, uh, the Matt Bernier Show, Owners Box with with Billy and Michelle. Uh, Maggie's off track, uh, uh, uh podcast, the, the list goes on. Um, so I want to thank everyone for all the support. Make sure you subscribe, follow, retweet, comment, check out our YouTube page in the money plus there's all kinds of things going on, but uh, most of all, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you, Brittany, for hanging out with us for an hour and, uh, enjoy your time in those New York streets. We'll see everyone next week. I need to know everything, who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, there's five and a horse, I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in signs, then let them in talk up their body, another one body that's just